0: This is the Adoption Law Firm Podcast with your favorite lawyer, Sam McClure. Visit us online at www.theadoptionfirm.com. So welcome back to the Adoption Law Firm podcast. Today, we are talking with Sam McClure about birth mother rights. And so I thought it would be important for us to get some context around that and discuss the difference between open and closed adoptions first, and then kind of go into what birth mother rights would have in each of those cases.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think everybody either on the placing parent side or, or on the adoptive parent side is asking that question. What, what rights do birth parents have? Um, you know, are they, do they come to the court hearing? You know, Sometimes birth parents are in financial need. Can the adoptive parents help them? Uh, when does a birth parent sign consent? How long you know, do they have to withdraw those consents? All those things are, are super important. Um, but I think for context, as we're thinking through what's the difference between an open and a closed adoption, Those aren't really precise terms, or they're sort of terms of art nomenclature. Obviously, in an international adoption where sometimes adoptive parents are separated by an ocean, that's really a closed adoption. Uh, Closed adoption in the domestic form is really a thing of the past. Really, that you know, when I think of a closed adoption, I think about like the 1940s a young woman gets pregnant out of wedlock, and her parents send her to Florida to have the baby, and the adoptive parents. Never you know never know who she is, and that sometimes the child doesn't even know they're adopted until they're eighteen and they get a birthday cake and it's like, "Hey, ha- happy birthday by the way, you're adopted, which is right. which is super unhealthy. Um, probably for the last fifteen, 20 years, most adopted parents, uh, at least in, in unrelated adoptions, you know this isn't really applicable in step parent or grandparent adoption, but in unrelated adoptions where you know the typical situation where um, an adoptive parent meets their baby for the first time at the hospital, right. So, yeah, closed adoptions are kind of a thing of the past. Usually, I think the best practices for how do you walk a child through their story is to always constantly, at age appropriate levels, talk through their adoption story. Have reverence for the first mommy. You know, your first mommy loved you, your first mommy did something that was courageous. Absolutely. Um, and so, to that extent, there's really closed adoptions, really, under thing. Like a child, so, or closed adoption could mean that um, the birth mother really wants anonymity. The birth mother doesn't want. The child to know who she is, or the adoptive parents really don't want the, the birth mother to know who they are. And that really is a, is a pretty uncommon thing too. Generally, uh, the adoptive parents and the birth parent, they know who each other are. Most adoptions are open in that sense. But on the far end of the spectrum, when somebody says, um, I want an open adoption, right? And, mm-hmm. it, and maybe somewhere in between is a semi-open adoption. But an open adoption on the far end of the spectrum could be uh, you know, we're walking through a, a family and a birth mother through this right now where the, the child has a consistent, continual relationship with the birth mother. It could look like, hypothetically, that the birth mother comes over for dinner every Friday night and they have dinner together. And, right. and that's just the reality of the situation. And it's healthy and it's good for the child. That's a, you know, that's a far end of the spectrum What I think about an open adoption uh, semi-open adoption is generally where people land. I would say the bell curve of uh, a semi-open adoption agreement would be that the the birth mother and the adoptive parents, they know, the birth parents and adoptive parents know who each other are. They they have communication all throughout the course of the pregnancy. And, um, you know, at, at least they meet at the hospital, if not before then. You know, oftentimes we see really healthy scenarios the adoptive mom and the birth mom are going to OBGYN appointments together. Mm-hmm. Kind of building this organic trust relationship to just to digress a little bit, I think it's important to have that between the, at least between the birth mother and the adoptive mother, because really every birth mother, whether they're thinking through uh, whatever their life situation is, they're they're trying to make the best parenting decision possible. Right, And the more that the adoptive mom and the birth mom connect on a heart level, I think is going to be healthier. And so... But the bell curve of a semi-open adoption arrangement would probably be where the birth parent receives from the adoptive parent pictures and updates once a year that's sent to an intermediary. That's usually us. And um, the birth parent can access those every year, uh, those updates every year or five years later, whatever their, you know, whatever their their grief cycle is or whatever their preferences. And so that's generally the bell curve of a semi-open adoption agreement. But, you know, as far as to kind of transition maybe a little bit to birth parents' rights, our philosophy is really that the birth mother's in the driver's seat on all that. Right. Does the birth mother want no contact? Uh, Does the birth mother want, uh, you know, visitation? And social media has kind of changed a lot about that dynamic, too. You know, I mean, like most people are putting pictures of their family on Facebook. And so— Right. But not everybody does. And so it's really, it's just a discussion where we try to put the birth mother in the driver's seat and say, this is your child. You have a place of reverence. I mean, that's obvious to most people, but some, you know, there's a very strong current in the adoption world that just treats birth parents as producers. Right. Right as a means to an end. And we we try to get as far away from that as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, like birth parents are yeah, obviously in a hard situation. Like nobody's like wakes up in the morning. It, was, it would be very rare that, uh, Hey, I want to get pregnant and place my child for adoption. Right? right. So adoption always happens from hard places. And so, yeah, but to reverence that and say, look, you're in the driver's seat here. What, what's your preference on, on visitation or contact communication?
0: Okay. And so their rights at that point—how do they change if they decide to place their their baby up for an adoption?
1: Mm-hmm. And there's
0: a family that um, is connected with this child,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: this family adopts that child. And say the the birth mother doesn't want anything to do mm-hmm. with that after that. Mm-hmm. They consent to all of that, and they they sign their child over then what happens? What if they change their mind? I mean,
1: right. So adoption is one of those issues that states still have a a lot of sovereignty over. There's a lot of laws like the speed limit or what age you can drink alcohol and, you know, how you pay your taxes. That's very federal driven. So it's uniform throughout all 50 states. But um, adoption is very state specific. But there are some commonalities in this. So uh, in, in every state, a birth parent has to give their consent for the adoption to go forward. Uh, the birth parent has to be of, uh, of legal age and sound mind to be able to give their consent to the adoption. And in every state, there's a mechanism for a birth parent to withdraw their consent. And so I'll just give Alabama as an example, but um, after the birth parent signs her consent, so mom delivers the baby, let's just say two days later, 48 hours later, uh, she signs consent, right? She has five days to withdraw her consent, to change her mind okay. for any reason, no questions asked, and she has the right to receive back custody of the child immediately, no questions asked. There's another window from day six to day 14 where she can withdraw her consent But uh, it's not automatic that she gets the child back. There actually has to be a court hearing where she proves that it is reasonable and in the child's best interest to withdraw that consent. And I think that's very important for every birth mother to know on the front end. And, uh, you know, we we try to help walk birth parents through this process, like Mm -hmm. all throughout the course of the pregnancy, ideally, that they're understanding that they're getting counseling, they're kind of having somebody that's been through this before walk them through, here's what you can expect in the grief process. We never want a birth parent to get into a situation where they feel pressured or I have to do this, which is, is another mm. important right for birth parents, I think, is to think about financially, right? Yes. Um, if you lean towards, which we try to run away from as, as hard as we can, the, the end of the spectrum where birth parents are just producers and a means to an end, then maybe throw as much money at it as you can to just pacify them and mm. maybe hope they get pregnant again as soon mm. as possible, right? Right. And so the legal structures do allow an adoptive parent as an act of charity to help provide for birth parents maternity-related incapacity, right? Mm -hmm. But it has to be approved by a court ahead of time. That's the law in Alabama, and and I think most states also. There's these safeguards put in place to lean away from buying babies, right? You don't want to buy kidneys on eBay. You don't want to buy babies on eBay. Um, We never want a parent to place their child for some financial inducement or some kind of duress. Like if the birth parent is living with the adoptive parent and they think, oh gosh, I have to consent to this adoption or the adoptive parents are going to throw me out on the street, right? Right. I want to try to avoid those situations. So birth parent has a right to, to, uh, to receive some financial help. From the adoptive parents, it's got to be court approved ahead of time. It's got to be reasonable. It's got to be connected to maternity-related incapacity. You know, so if a birth mother, you know, because of her pregnancy, is unable to work, uh, then you know, there's things like uh, housing, uh, food, uh, transportation, things like that, that the adoptive parents can help with. I think if a birth parent needs to be empowered, I think that's, Mm -hmm. it needs to be educated, right? Doesn't, they need to know what they're signing. They need to have copies of what they're signing.
0: Talk to me from a spiritual standpoint of Mm -hmm. what you think about, from a spiritual standpoint with a birth parent and an adoptive family, Mm -hmm. why is it so important to take care of that birth mom?
1: Yeah, I think the human conscience is an an often neglected uh, aspect of who we are, how we're made in God's image, right? To Mm -hmm. the... everybody has the law of God written on their hearts. So this is this conscience, this is right or wrong, right? It's either informed by the Holy, it's either regenerate, that conscience is either regenerate by the Holy Spirit and and informed by God's word, uh, or it's not. Even if it's not informed by God's word and regenerate by the Holy Spirit, we all, we still have this code of conduct, right? And it's a basic human code of conduct to treat people the way you want to be treated, to Mm -hmm. love people, to not manipulate people. Mm -hmm. And so to, to treat a birth parent like a you know, like a means to an end, like a mm-hmm. factory. Let's just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't care what happens to you. I just want your baby. It's, it violates your conscience. And absolutely. And I, I think you're going to, you're going to live with that guilt. Like, I think a guilty conscience is 99% of the cause of mental illness in society is uh, undealt with uh, mm-hmm. guilty conscience. And so I think just from a, a very, um, maybe selfish perspective or, or self, Self promoting perspective. Adoptive parents don't do that to yourself. Don't don't right. um, don't violate that birth parent relationship. It's a place of honor in that child's life. I think you should always talk about it. There's books out there. You can process your child's adoption story with them. Uh, whatever things are, are pr- worthy of praise, you can praise those things. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean you have to lie to them and and uh, and, and and say things that aren't true. You know, right. So.
0: And at the end of the day, that birth mom, we have to remember, is made in the image of God, just like all of us are. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's important to remember when we, when we talk about that. So, um, Well, hopefully that gives everyone a perspective on birth parents and birth parents' rights. And um, if you have any questions, you can always contact us here at The Adoption Law Firm, and we'll be happy to discuss that with you. Thank you for listening to The Adoption Law Firm Podcast. For more information on the topics discussed or to get in touch with us, go to www.theadoptionfirm.com.